Good morning and welcome to Morning Fix. We're thrilled to be here today with Dr. Misha Dogan, who's the co-founder and CEO of Cardio Diagnostics. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, it's always interesting to hear about um, founders and how they got started in their career. So why don't we kick it off with that? Tell us a little bit about your early career and how you got to where you are today. For sure. So by way of formal training, I'm actually an engineer. I started off um, doing uh, chemical engineering when I started my undergraduate work. And about three months into uh, undergraduate work, funny enough, um, I grew up in Malaysia. And when I moved to uh, Iowa to go to the University of Iowa, my mom said, you got to start paying your bills as an adult. So go find yourself a job. And so three months into starting my undergraduate study, I was looking for a position to help pay bills. But I was very fortunate that I ended up in a lab as a work study student in this new area called epigenetics. Had not heard of it, um, not in high school, nowhere near even during undergraduate studies. And so I came to know of this world called epigenetics, which is essentially our lifestyle and environment at a molecular level, and thought how fascinating because, you know, we grow up, or at least I grew up thinking a lot of who we are and, you know, disease states come from genetics, from what we're born with, what we inherited. And so epigenetics opened my eyes to a whole new world that I did not know anything about. So I was pursuing epigenetics, and that was over 15 years ago. And then over 12 years ago, when I was working on my doctoral work, um, epigenetics was uh, becoming more known. But one of the things we were running into at that time was big data. Uh, big data started becoming more prevalent in healthcare and biotech. And at that point, epigenetics, uh, we started collecting data at a genome-wide level. And so I pivoted my doctoral work to now include uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. And that was over 12 years ago. And I managed to blend these roles together uh, for my doctoral work um, in biomedical engineering. That's what I was doing my PhD in and ended up inventing the technology behind cardiodiagnostics. And then when I completed my doctoral work, turned around and founded Cardio in 2017. Well, that's quite a path. Talk to us about cardiodiagnostics and why you started it. I like to think of cardiodiagnostics as a company of its times. And what I mean by that is, as I was doing my work in epigenetics and AI and cardiovascular disease, um, I think one of the eye-opening things, and the, the data spoke to it, is we rely on tools and technologies um, that we have used for decades when it comes to cardiovascular disease. So heart disease has been the number one killer since about the 1950s. And it's still the number one killer today. And the last time I checked, we're in 2023. And we have used the tried and true uh, tools and technologies um, of its time um, for decades now. And so there was still a need for us to push the envelope 
and think about how can we get ahead of heart disease? Because we know about 80% of cardiac events like heart attacks can be prevented. And so what are we not doing? And when we were looking at the data, the eye-opening thing was when we were looking at lipid-based tests, what we found that on average for 100 men who were likely to have a heart attack within three years, the current technologies was identifying only about 42 of them correctly. And for women out of 100, it was only about 32. And that was pretty eye-opening because what that told us is there's a huge gap and a huge need here for us to first and foremost better identify those at risk for these cardiovascular events. And one of the other things was we have now advanced science and technologies at our disposal that we didn't have in the 1950s and 60s when we first started learning and diving deep into cardiovascular disease. So I talk about cardio as being a company of its time because the science of epigenetics, the technology of artificial intelligence, and this much needed need that we have in improving the way we identify those uh, at risk or those who have cardiovascular disease sort of all met at the same time. And that's why we founded cardiodiagnostics, right? We, we have more advanced science and technology. We have this much needed gap uh, in cardiovascular disease. And as a company, our goal is to get ahead of heart disease by thinking about early detection, prevention, and how can we think about precision medicine when it comes to personalizing the treatment for individuals? Because we know what works for me may not work for someone else. And the way we get to the best possible care for each of us, it's to tailor that care. And that's really why we founded the company. We'd love to know a little bit more about how the technology works to, you know, identify um, people who may be at higher risk or, you know, like you said, you know, are you doing work in that personalized medicine space um, to help identify, you know, specific therapies that may work for better for some than others? Tell us a little bit more about the ins and outs of the technology. Yeah. So the basic premise of the technology is our risk for cardiovascular disease comes from two large areas. One is um, genetics, so the risk that we may inherit from um, our parents, from our family. So we're thinking of someone like me who actually comes from a family with two generations history of heart attacks. Specifically, I may be walking around with genetic predisposition uh, for heart disease. But here is the main thing to note about that. Even for someone like me or anyone else who has family history, the risk is no more than 20% genetic when it comes to heart disease, meaning largely it doesn't come from what we inherited. And that is a good thing because that means that largely it's within our control and things we can do and modify to be able to reduce and prevent uh, cardiac events. So if we're looking at where does it largely come from, it actually comes from our lifestyle and environment, so non-genetic factors. And what really we do as a company is we say, all right, how can we identify the genetic risk? And that is measuring genetic markers from DNA. But 
this larger part of risk comes from lifestyle and environment. How do we do it today? We ask if someone exercises, we do lipid tests, we do hemoglobin A1Cs for diabetes. We're aggregating all kinds of tests and subjective information to understand lifestyle and environment. But one of the things the science of epigenetics really allowed us to do is now use an objective biomarker. It's called epigenetics. Specifically, it's called DNA methylation. What that is, is it's our lifestyle and environment at a molecular level. So what we do day in, day out translates into how our cells react and adopt in the form of DNA biomarkers, which are known as uh, DNA methylation or epigenetics. So we measure that as the second type of biomarker for cardiovascular disease. So we layer genetics with epigenetics and we measure both of those. So that's on the measurement side. And given that there are these complex interactions between these biomarkers, we use machine learning and artificial intelligence as a basis to identify and interpret these biomarkers. So that is the base foundation um, technology of cardiodiagnostics. We take that technology and we essentially apply it into various clinical tests that looks at specific type of uh, cardiovascular disease. So for instance, the first test that we ever launched is called EpiPlus Gen CHD. Um, it's a test that assesses five genetic markers and three DNA methylation or epigenetic markers. And what it tells someone, or the provider and the patient, what is the likelihood that this patient may have a heart attack or sudden death associated with coronary heart disease? So a coronary heart disease related event in the next three years. So the idea is if we know with better sensitivity, which this test is 2.4 times more sensitive for women and 1.7 times more sensitive to men for men compared to what we use today clinically with lipid-based testing, we can know with better certainty who's at risk and get ahead of the problem. Yes, this is incredible technology, these early diagnostic tools. Is, are there other tools out there or, and, and then uh, is other work being done with respect to epigenetics? Tell us more about the space. Yeah, when we're thinking about epigenetics, um, the company that I would say that sort of broke broke the dam open um, when it came to epigenetics is actually Exact Sciences with their product called Cologuard uh, for colon cancer assessment. And um, to date, I would have to say that's probably the most well-known or the product that's probably most widely used when it comes to epigenetics. Um, but the ep science of epigenetics is not new. What is new about epigenetics is the ability to measure it at scale and more in-depth understanding of the science of epigenetics. And again, when I started over 15 years ago, um, even when we were doing it at the University of Iowa, we were essentially the only group studying epigenetics at that time because everyone was still very much focused on genetics. So from an application and translation standpoint, I would say not many companies or not many groups um, are, are looking at as, as much as something like genetic-based markers. Um, but for us, it was an 
it was a much necessary science if we truly wanted to be able to get ahead of something like heart disease. Um, because again, largely our risk comes from our lifestyle and environment. So to the best of my knowledge, we're the only company operating um, in the integrated genetic epigenetic space when it comes to cardiovascular um, disease in the world, having launched um, two such tests. One is Epi plus Gen CHD for the risk assessment of coronary heart disease, and then Precision CHD for the detection of coronary heart disease. And if we're looking at the detection of coronary heart disease, meaning does this person have coronary heart disease today, largely we do that today through imaging-based technologies, whether it's CCTA or something like an exercise EKG or even a coronary cath. But with our test, what we're offering is a simple blood-based test that you can do fully remotely, meaning you don't even have to step foot in your doctor's office. It could be telemedicine and at-home sampling could be leveraged to deploy the tests fully remotely. And for us, innovating on the care delivery side as much as the technology itself was highly important because... Again, going back to what we want to achieve, we want more people to participate in care. We want more people to be able to get tested and to get ahead of the problem. And the only way to do that is to democratize access um, to a, a highly sophisticated and, and highly um, sensitive uh, test. So yesterday, we had the opportunity to speak with another founder who is also working on using AI um, to predict pandemics and disasters um, and things like that. But one of the things that she said was that, you know, she didn't want to just um, be able to predict something, but she also wanted to be able to make sure there was a solution to what they were predicting. And so it sounded like, you know, from your answer that, you know, that's also really important to your company as well, that, you know, you don't just want to be able to see who's more at risk for heart, heart issues, but you also want to make sure that the care and the access is, is there as well um, so people can do something about it. So could you tell us a little bit more about that and the types of interventions and, and help that maybe is being provided once you have this information? Absolutely. So one of the things that we did was we wanted to launch our products in a um, what we call a crawl walk, uh, crawl walk run stages. And when we first launched our test, it was both Epi plus Gen CHD and Precision CHD. Both of those tests, when we launched them, we launched them as being able to provide better information. But to your point, now that we have better information, how do we act on it? How do we think about it? And the good news with our tests is, um, it is all provider-ordered tests, so it has to be prescribed by a clinician, meaning we get to work hand-in-hand -hand with clinicians and be able to use the realm of clinical guidelines to be able to help patients. But one of the points I made earlier when we were chatting was the idea of precision medicine and the need to be able to personalize care because no two medications may work equally the same or no two therapies are equal for, to, for two individuals. How do we understand what needs to be done and whether it's working for someone or not? 
And that is where the world of epigenetics is absolutely fascinating. Before I say that, I think it's worth pointing out that if if one of the reasons I tell people, you know, genetics is important, but one of the one of the key challenges with just looking at genetic information is when you change a behavior. So if I'm a smoker and that's elevating my risk for heart disease and now I stop smoking, has it reduced my risk for heart disease? And you cannot tell that with genetics because our genetics, they do not change over our lifetime. If I took a 23andMe genetic test when I was five years old or when I'm 50 years old, the answer is going to be the same because, again, they're measuring genetics. What is fascinating about epigenetics is we recently launched an extension, a platform um, to go hand in hand with our clinical test called the Actionable Clinical Intelligence. The reason we launched that is with epigenetics, they're unique biomarkers to each of us. There's nothing more unique to us than our DNA. We're able to take, call it Misha's DNA methylation epigenetic markers and map where my risk is coming from, from a molecular level. So what ACI, Actionable Clinical Intelligence, allows us to do is say, based on Misha's biomarkers, where is her risk coming from? Meaning not all, um, not everyone's risk for cardiovascular disease comes just from lipids or just from hemoglobin A1C. But knowing which factors are contributing more than others provides an idea to clinicians to say, okay, instead of treating everyone the same, I have a better idea of the risk for my patient, this specific patient, and I can now target my management accordingly. So that is the mapping we now provide to um, clinicians who order the test and they can use that information to look at an, at an individual basis what's driving um, this patient's risk. Now, that answers what do we do, but I think the next step is now what? Do we know it's working? One of the studies we publish actually shows that epigenetic biomarkers, the DNA methylation markers specifically, um, that are measured by our tests change in as little as 90 days with intervention, meaning it's not just where do we think about directing management, but can we get an idea of whether this is actually moving the needle? And that is the exciting parts about epigenetics. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating, fascinating work. So you mentioned that, you know, over a decade ago, when you were doing some of your initial research, you were using, you know, AI and machine learning. Um, and I'm wondering, did you think it would take us, you know, over a decade to get we, where we are today? Or did things move along actually quicker than you thought? And, you know, why are we in the spot all of a sudden where everybody's talking about it? And it seems like it's just exploding. I'm just curious, you know, more about you know, the, the, the space of AI and, and the history of it and sort of where we're going. When I started using ML and AI over 12 years ago, um, it, it was hard to find people in healthcare and biotech who I could turn to and sort of just kick around ideas because it was so new at that stage. Um, but one of the things going uh, for us at that time, or or the reason we were able to make headways, because one of the key things about AI is I always tell people AI is just like a calculator. I can hand anyone a calculator, but what you do with the calculator and what questions you're trying to answering, 
The AI in itself can't tell you that. That's where the domain knowledge and the individuals uh, who are involved in studies or trying to solve a problem or companies building uh, tools and technologies come in because they are directing um, the AI. And one of the key things, um, especially when we think about healthcare is um, and, and AI in general is we need really high quality good data. And if we're thinking of an area like healthcare, um, gathering data, really high quality clinical molecular data takes time. And so when I started 12 plus years ago, one of the good things going for us is we had really high quality data to start with. But I like to think of the progress that the as as an uh, just a general industry, especially in healthcare, we've made is we started with clinical data, we layered on AI, and then we realized that maybe we needed more data in some areas as opposed to, to the others. We started supplementing that. So I think over the past 10 years, what has happened is we've been able to blend three things um, that has result, resulted, in my opinion, in this inflection point that we're seeing. One is a better, more high-quality data. Two is improvement in certain signs that we knew about that we're knowing much better or we've gotten to know much better in the past 10 years, something like epigenetics. And the third is now having access to more high throughput computation um, with things like Amazon Web Services, cloud computing that allows us to scale. I think all the advancements had to come together to, to meet the challenges and to meet the needs of today. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're sort of seeing acceleration in all the individual areas in parallel, and they're all converging at this time uh, in healthcare and beyond. Yes, they, they certainly are. And uh, I, I wanted to thank you for bringing a, a rather complex topic like AI and and making it digestible for for the industry so others can understand. So leaders and lay people and pace, patients and really consumers can understand how is this, this very esoteric concept, how does it apply and how can it improve um, healthcare and our lives? So thank you for your thoughts today. Absolutely. Well, Misha, we always have one question that we like to ask our guests when they speak with us on the show. What do you do for your morning fix since you are on the morning fix? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. So my morning fix is a combination of two things. It's a workout and a hot cup of coffee. Well, that's, that is short and simple and sweet and uh, certainly a great way to start the day. So thank you very much for your thoughts. And uh, we look forward to um, following you in your career and all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you both.